Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From roommates to co-hosts. This is The Back Check with Brendan Azov and Stefan Wozner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azov and Stefan Wozner. Welcome, everybody, to episode four of The Back Check. I'm Brendan Azov. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner. And an emotional roller coaster since our last live show on Monday, uh, Wednesday, excuse me, where we were previewing the Rangers Islanders. I know Rangers fans on Thursday night were wishing the season hadn't started. And then a quick roller reversal on Saturday. And here we are. There's a lot to dive into on that and a lot to dive into around the league because we got hockey in full swing. And there was a lot of great action despite no fans. It, It was still high quality hockey to start the season. Definitely competitive. Doesn't matter if you were a juggernaut team last year or you were terrible last year. Everyone's on the same playing field right now. And I, I mean, we'll get into Islanders Rangers in a, in a couple of minutes, but let's dive into like the biggest stories that are happening right now. First off, the Devils. I mean, I, the Bruins, I know. No Pasternik. That's a big loss. No Krug. That's a big loss. No Char. That is a big loss. But the Devils came to play. I know that they're 1 0 1 in the year. They lose the first game in a shootout. And yesterday, our man, Yegor Sharangovich, with less than two seconds left in overtime, buries one in the breakaway against Halak. Oh, that, I mean, we watched him play in Bing. What, what, a, what a play from that man. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to segue this a little bit just because I see parallels. We watched him play in Bing, right? He had moments of explosiveness, but then there were moments where he was kind of lost. He went to the KHL on loan and dominated the league. Similar to what Kratzov's doing right now. So for Rangers fans, you could look at that and have some optimism for what's to come. But obviously that kid, Igor Sharangovich, has a ton of talent. I mean, he, first of all, the way he broke in, the amount of speed he came in, and he was able to still pick a spot with his head up. For a young kid, that's pretty impressive. I can't tell if the Bruins are just lacking without Pasternak and without their defense that you know they lost Krug and Chara, or if the Devils are just upstart and playing well the first two games. I think it's the fact that Bruins are playing predictable hockey. You know, with pass nights, an extra element, an extra guy to shoot. You know on the top line, I mean, you know what to expect. You know what to expect from their power play now. You know that he, there's no pass nights, a major hole. I mean, this is a guy that led the league with Ovechkin last year in goals. So to not have him is tough. And also, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. The Devils came to play. You know, people are knocking them early on, knocking them. They're going to be terrible. I had them finishing better than the Sabres, but a lot of people have said, nope, they're going to be at the bottom of the league. They have a lot of young talent. And the thing is, the other team doesn't under- know really what that this game is. The Devils have you know, to figure out what kind of team they're going to be. And Blackwoods looked good. Subban's looked okay. He looked better. I mean, he's shooting the puck a lot more, it seems like. He's, the, the power play unit, the passing was great. And I think they have great leaders on this team as well. Palmieri's a big-time leader. I know Subban, they got into a fight during a... Subban and Miles Wood got into a fight during training camp or whatever, but you know, it's about team building. You have a new coach, Lindy Roth. It's important to get off to a, a solid start. And they 
They beat it. It doesn't matter if there's Pasternak or no Pasternak. They beat a tough Bruins team and start the year off on top. But let's move on to uh, Flyers. The hand of the Penguins with ease. The Penguins don't look good, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But Sean Gattari is out two weeks as this is a disgusting injury. His rib <laughs> tore away from his cartilage. How that's only a two-week recovery, I'm no doctor. There's, there's a reason I'm doing this and not in a lab or you know surgery, but that's a big loss. Yeah, the human body is a crazy thing that that's only two weeks to recover from. But yeah, I mean, if there's a team that could withstand that type of name going down right now, it looks like the Flyers. I mean, they played their rival. We saw what happened with the Rangers and Islanders, despite one lopsided loss. Right? It they just kept the foot on their gas and Konechny scored, which he didn't do all the postseason. So that that was a positive sign. Giroux looks good. Voracek looks crisp. Going at news reporters too. Faraby looked very good in game one. I mean, they look like they're clicking. But again, it's tough because we say it's only two games in, right? Three games for a couple of teams. But that means there's only 54 now left. So normally in a regular season, you'd be over 20 games in. I think that after 10 or 12 games, we're going to really be able to tell who's who, right? I mean, or how close it's going to be. New Year, same Toronto team scoring goals, but can't get it out, keep it out of their net. They've allowed twelve goals in three games. TJ Brody does not look that good. They brought him in to secure up that defense after Tyson Barry left, and he hasn't really secured anything up. And I don't know how much onus is on him, but they have so much money tied up in that forward group that the only way they're going to really improve their defense is by moving one of those big names. You would think the obvious one to move is Nylander, but Nylander looks like one of their better forwards right now. So I don't know what they do because Anderson doesn't look like the type of goalie who could withstand all these shots and make these spectacular saves. He's an average starter in the NHL, in my opinion. That's how he's going to get hurt. That's why he gets hurt because he's relied upon way too much and he's got to make those sprawling saves doing this and that, and it leads to injury. And I think, great, Joe Thornton scored. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they have to score more than the opposition, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty playoffs, you know defense wins championship, and they just don't have it. Rookies, you know, this is a great f- opening weekend week for rookies because we have three getting on the board. Kaprasov and OT on Friday night for the winner for Minnesota was a dandy of a move. He was all over the ice that game. If you did not see Kaprasov's name, you were not looking at the TV because he was electric. He scores the game-winning goal. Great play. Filthy move. That was an accident, but the puck the puck does, does go in. Tim Stutzla scores last night for Ottawa on a... Oh, my God. Hand-eye coordination. Did you see that, Brennan, that pass across? He whacked it out of midair? Yeah, I mean, it, it just landed, I think, while yeah. he was shooting it. So, yeah. great. I, I, That puck has to be stopped. I, it's, it's a tough a, angle. But, but good for him, man. I mean, he got on the board. Ottawa looks impressive. I mean, I know they dropped one to Toronto. They split with them. But they still look good. Uh, I mean, their offense looks crisp. And, Hey, that's another young team that has their eyes on making a run. Eugene Melnick, their owner, said that he thinks this team is ready to win for win a cup or compete for a cup this year, which I know we rolled our eyes at because I still don't think that's accurate now with the heavy, heavy hitters we have in this league right now. But could they make a playoff push in that Canadian division? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, anything's possible. We're seeing that anything is possible. I know Detroit beat Carolina. You know, who's on that coming? So there's a lot of things. But going to the standings and everything that's happened so far, a lot of splits. Out of the 30 teams that played, because Dallas and Florida have yet to play, uh, I think Florida gets a season underway today. Um, only six teams remain undefeated at 2-0. That's Tampa beating up on Chicago, Flyers overwhelming the Penguins, Capitals do their job against Buffalo, 
you know, Vegas has to battle to beat the Ducks, and they do twice, but it was a battle. And Minnesota and the Kings are playing two competitive games. You see the Wild come back and win yesterday. I mean, it's just, it's electric hockey. It's competitive. We saw St. Louis beat Colorado on their opening game and then get absolutely dominated 8 yeah. to nothing in the next game. So this is the type of hockey we are going to see this season. And now, you know, let's dive into it, Brennan. Let's dive into Rangers-Islanders because, holy crap, it was a carbon copy. Thursday and Saturday was the same game, just reversed. So let's get into some eerie facts off the bat, Brendan. All right, ready? Yep. Thursday night in the Islanders, the Islanders 4 nothing win. Islanders had 33 shots on goals. Rangers had 24. Yesterday, in the Rangers, 5 nothing win. Islanders had 23 shots on goal. Rangers had 32. Back to Thursday. Islanders, 2 for 8 on the power play. Rangers 0 for 3. Yesterday. Islanders 0 for 4 on the power play. Rangers 1 for 8. It, it's, it's just insane. It's like, it reminds me of a baseball series where it doesn't, any day, a new game, it could be reversed depending on, you know, the goaltending, everything like that. But we'll, we'll get into this right now, Brendan. So let's, let's take it off. Islanders win Thursday, 4 nothing. They get off to an early lead. They moving their feet the whole entire game. Brock Nelson gets on the board a little over two minutes into the game. Barzal was all over the ice, drew a couple of penalties, took one of his own, but scored a nifty goal um, after making a nice move on Tony D'Angelo and then roofing one on Igor Shesterkin. And the Islanders just played their game from then on out. They they shut down the Rangers defensively. Varlamov looked good, but he wasn't tested that much. 24-shot shutout. So at the end of the day, the Islanders played the same game that gave them the advantage in the bubble, and the Rangers just didn't come out to play. No, they didn't. And speaking of the Rangers, that – uh, we have a great guest coming on today, and we forgot to mention that so far. Dan Rosen of NHL.com, who covers the Rangers, will be joining us at 11 o'clock. It's going to be awesome, and uh, he's going to definitely have a lot of insight on what we just witnessed over the last two games. But, yes, diving into it, the one thing that stood out for me over the two games difference was how structured the Islanders were in game one and how much easier the Rangers had a time of attacking in game two. I think that over game one, we watched Panarin try to go cross ice a couple of times, got picked off. Once the Islanders got that lead, they played a sort of a comfortable game. Once they got behind, they weren't allowed to just stay in that box, and it opened things up a little more, and the Rangers took advantage of it. And the stat that stood out to me the most, which I think you're going to appreciate this stat, I'm doing an article on my reaction for these two games. Igor Sesterkin in game one faced 12 high danger chances against or shots against, and he stopped 10 of them, which isn't bad. So he had an 833 high danger save percentage. In game two, Georgiev faced two. Yep, two. That's, that says it all. That, that, that really says it all. The Islanders yesterday, just nothing. It looked like it's such an easy night for Georgiev. Didn't have their feet. They took a ton of penalties. They were on the penalty kill way too long. That definitely impacts players. Barzal took a couple of offensive zone penalties, which can happen. And the biggest news is that Sorokin gets his first NHL game under his belt because Varlamov takes one up high in warm-ups off the stick of Clutterbuck and is unable to play. And, you know, after the game, Barry Trout said, you can't do that to your starting net Monday. We let Varlamov down. We put Sorokin in a bad spot. Sorokin did not have a great game yesterday. First goal, should have had, you know, he's a goal, type of goalie that will make that save nine out of ten times. And just fortunate, unfortunately, he was unable to do that yesterday. Buchnevich had a hell of a game. He looked... Look at the guy the Rangers need him to be in year five. Well, they, they said he had a hell of a camp. They yeah. were, that's all that we heard coming from Rangers camp was, wow, Buchnevich looks really strong. We always know he had the talent. 
similar like a Philip Edel. He has the talent. The problem was he never drove to those nitty-gritty areas. Last year, he started doing it. He had over 40 points. He looked good on Savannah Jazz line. And, I mean, the one aspect of his game that I've always criticized outside of his drive is his ability to finish. And he can always get the chances. He always shoots. But there's for some reason in the past, he's never been able to pick his spot on that third goal and his second goal. I mean, Sorokin's angle's a little off, but my goodness, he picked the corner. A little. A little bit. That's all you need in the NHL is a little bit off to pick that corner. I don't think it was a little. It was a six shot. Six shot, put it right in the corner. I don't think he even had to snipe for that puck to win. The glove side was so exposed because Sorokin's right skate was on the outside of his yeah. right post. It was just – Sorokin yesterday looked like a goalie that hadn't played an NHL game. Yeah. That's what yeah. it looked like. He, he, he stopped he was, one of four high-danger chances. The Rangers only had four high-danger chances yesterday. And granted, the team in front of him did not help him at all. And again, that was talked about post game. But Sorokin has to be better from that, uh, better than what we saw last night. And for the fans that are flipping out, please relax. Stop. Okay. First off, first NHL game. I don't think he's played in over a competitive game in over ten months, given the situation. Not going back to the KHL, he has yet to play a competitive game in North America. The speed and the the release, everything is different here. So a game like that is going to happen, and you rather come, you know, get out of the way early in the season rather than late when the Islanders, you know, are in crunch time and need a point here or there. So he didn't look good. He didn't look good at the end of the day. He he did not look good. But as the game went on, he he showed glimpses of okay, that's a, that's a nice save, that's a great save, that's an athletic save. But for the most part, his angles were a little off, and that's just going to take time. You know, it's going to take time. And for for Varlamov, he, he's day to day right now. No more news on him. Hopefully he can go Monday uh, against the Boston Bruins home opener at five o'clock. But if he can't, team should run back to Sorokin because he didn't, sh- you know, if the defense in front of him plays well, most of those chances that went in don't happen. Mayfield colliding with a ref and leading to Bushnevich coming down the, the wing and sniping him. Y- you're not going to see that. You-, you saw it a lot. You saw the refs getting in the way a lot. You saw a lot of players slipping. I didn't think the ice was particularly great yesterday for both sides. Rangers capitalized though. Same ice. So you got to do your job, but. You know, the, the defense, Pellick looked lost at times. Dobson was terrible. Russ Johnson struggled. It just was a really sloppy game. They looked terrible off the bat, and it started off with Valmov getting hurt. Once that happened, it was more of a domino effect where in the back of your minds, you were you were hoping Sorokin had a good game, but the, the luck just, the bounces weren't there, and unfortunately, it led to bad penalties, and the Rangers made him, made him count. Listen, the sick kids that we are, it was like 12.30, and we're, we're on the phone talking about where the goal's bad, you know, how the goals go in. There's only two bad ones. Now, two is too many, but even if you he makes those two saves, it's a 3 nothing win, right? The Islanders didn't score. They didn't help him. So you have to realize that. And he gave up five goals in his first NHL game. Shesterkin gave up like seven in a Traverse City tournament against prospects, not even NHL players, the first time he played on North American ice. And he gave up four the other night. Yeah. So can we... Stop saying, oh, he's a Boston. I was reading some comments on Twitter because I saw you retweeted Arthur Staple who said he'll learn, yeah. right? And people were like, learn. He played this many years. In the- it's a different ice surface. It's a different league. The shooters in the KHL are phenomenal, right? Datsuk plays in that league. We know the talent that comes over from there. The shooters in the NHL all can do what they could do. That's how good this league is. That's why they come over here because this is the best league in the world. If I don't know how many players in the KHL could pick the corner like Buchnevich just did when they see that little opening, right? I don't know how many players in the KHL shoot back across the grain like that, like he did on the first goal. 
And then the Kako one, he's not stopping. And then two for Panarin. Panarin in tight twice. Come on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not flipping out. As a goalie myself, right? My my dad made a good point when I was younger. And, you know, there'd be games where we lose 10 nothing. I hit get like 70 shots against. My dad said, listen, didn't matter if you stopped all of them or not. Your team didn't score. This game can write this game off as a one nothing loss for the Islanders. It didn't matter how Sorokin played. Sorokin could have played unreal. He's not stopping the Kako tic tac toe. And Panarin's the best, one of the best shooters in the game on the breakaway. And Sorokin even played that correctly. He came out, attacked him. He didn't give up much of an angle. He just got beat by one of the best shots the NHL has to offer. That, that, that's, that's what happened. I mean, I. There's certain players in this league you can't let alone in front of your goalie all alone. That's one of them. I don't think anybody's stopping him. Okay, it could be Carey Price, could be the reigning Besna winner, Connor Hellebuck. He'll pick his spot. That's the, that's the type of player he is. I don't worry about Seth Kirkin. I don't think anyone should be worried about Sorokin. I think they're both very talented goaltenders. And listen, the way these first two games went, nobody on either team was fully clicking, right? The Rangers clicked in game two, didn't click in game one. The Islanders, vice versa. So don't take that much stock out of these two games. Just take it as, wow, this season is going to be an absolute roller coaster. And these two teams will only get better over the course of playing more games together as a cohesive unit. So that should be the takeaways from this. It's one and one Neither team's 0-2. We talked about how this is going to be an even match series the whole entire season. We got what we wanted. We did. Right? And, I mean, again, we want to be a little more competitive than it was. But at the end of the day, two points there. Two points there for each team. We, we, we said they're going to split the season series. And it, it, very, it very well might happen the way, obviously, the season goes on. People get more accustomed to the line mates, the, the playing, sir. Every, everything will fit like usual, and the teams will start to look like what you expect them to look like. But off the bat, you know, in game one of the season, the Rangers' offense, this juggernaut of an offense, just wasn't awake. Yes, the Islanders won 4 nothing, and they played really well. But the team that they were facing didn't show up. Do I think the Islanders still win if the Rangers wake up a little bit? Yeah, because the Islanders were just on their game from puck drop. But the Rangers were on the game from puck drop last night. And when that happens, especially when it's an offensive-based team, a defensive-based team, you know, the Islanders score first, and they could play their quote-unquote boring style of play and get a win. But when it's the roles are reversed and you're not an offensively, you know, dominant team like the Islanders and you give up the first goal, now you have to play their game. Yep. And you get trapped in the Rangers game. When you get trapped in the Rangers game, you are going to lose. Because once they start scoring and you can't contain them, the pressure, I mean, the o- offensive attack for the Rangers last night, Felt like every shift they were in the Islander zone, cycling, power play, odd man rushes, which this Islander team does not usually allow odd man rushes. In game one, they let a few, but their defense in Pelican Pulak made great say, uh, great plays to break those up. Just you didn't see them make the Pelic did not look great. And when you when your top defenseman doesn't look great, you know it's an off night for everybody. You know, their, we, 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 top defenseman and top forward did not have good games. That bar is always terrible last night, and it was very surprising given the fact of how explosive. Well, you thought, okay, after game one, maybe it's our fault for, you know, judging on one game. But you said, you know what? He signed a three-year deal. He said he wants to improve. Hood coach Barry Trott said, I'm trying to bring the most out of our top player. And he he looked like he, a player that was playing a, more than a one-dimensional game. He shot the puck and scored. He made deeks. He made sick passes. He got back on defense. He stole pucks. He took a penalty. But again, that's what's going to happen. But then last night was awful. I think it was three offensive zone penalties. He yep. he was not exi- in the first period. I said, "Where where's Barzal? I haven't seen him. Where's Barzal? He that you know Anders Lee. 
in game one was electric as well. You didn't see him as much yesterday. Uh, Brennan, can we talk about the penalty they called on Andersley in front? I mean, that, that was soft, but so was the one before it. No, I know, but I mean, you're seeing so many penalties called in the NHL. Like teams are getting eight power plays a game. And I think they're trying, what they're trying to do is call these early. That way they crack down on them later in the year. That's what you want to do. If you wait to call these calls, then you know, you're, you, you're doing a disservice to the players by calling them later in the year when the games quote unquote mean more. There's a lot of acting being done on Broadway, Brendan, yesterday. He drew a penalty. No, I mean, that's his job. It's his job. It's just unfortunate because it went, it went the wrong way for my team. And I know, you know, I mean, Lemieux getting punched in the face by Pajot and diving back, Lindgren diving yesterday. I guess at the end of the day, though, it's an acting job. And you're, well, you're they, they called embellishment on that. They did. Yeah, they did. Oh, it should have been. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. If you watch the replay, he's embellishing a little bit. He's being held by two linesmen. That's he's true. being pushed. He's not in a position. It should be a penalty on Pajot only. I'd rather be able to brag that Pajot rocked Lemieux. <laughs> I'd rather be able to see that. Um, unfortunately, again, but we didn't have any, uh, you know, goals disallowed or any crazy stuff last night. It was besides no. the refs getting in the way a couple of times, which I mean, if I'm Mayfield, just deck him. You're yeah. playing the clock. Just you got it. It happened three times yesterday and it led to one big goal. I mean, the Bucinevich goal changed, not changed the course of the game. It, after two, nothing, it's like the Islanders just what it wasn't going to be a game. The Islanders were going to end up winning, you know, two goal lead. Come back. It's possible. You can come back from that. Often, but you know, last night wasn't one of those nights. And again, when Panarin's on his game, he's a ferocious player. And if your defense is not going to step and make plays on him, I mean, he made Dobson look silly. I mean, he just makes people look silly. That's his job. And the defense has to play better. They're going to Islanders going to now face a Boston Bruins team that's one on one, but not a Boston Bruins team that won the President's Trophy last year. It's sure. it's just not the same team. They have too many losses, and they're vulnerable right now. With no Pasternak, these teams like the Islanders, the Rangers, even the Devils, you got to take advantage because when he comes back in February, this 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 Bruins team's going to get better. They're not going to get worse. They're going to get better. Now I'm assuming Tuka Rask plays because Halak played last night. Very good netminder. The last time the Islanders hosted the Bruins was on Butch Goring night, and they were shut out and they were dominated. I remember the goals weren't great, a few deflections, a few bad bounces, but they were just dominated. And for the Islanders, they have to come out with some some heart and soul because the effort they put in last, uh, last night was terrible. And if they do that again against any team in this division, I don't care if you're the, the defeated Sabre, any team, the Penguins, you will lose. You will lose every night if you are not putting in more effort than your opponent. Yeah. Listen, I think that this is a test now for both teams going in their new directions. There's a lot build up when it's Rangers Islanders, regardless of fans there, regardless of opening night. Now you get to go onto a team where it's not, your bitter, bitter rivals. Do you not like the Bruins? Is it Boston, New York still? Absolutely. Do the Rangers not like the Devils? Are they rivals? Yes. But this isn't Rangers Islanders, right? The Rangers Devils has the Kako Hughes built in. We haven't seen that yet. So I'm very excited for that because every time they're playing, Hughes comes down with some type of imaginary illness or injury. (laughs) Very convenient. Um, But for the Islanders going into, are they going to Boston or is Boston coming to New York? Home opener. So Boston, Boston yep. Okay, there you go. So you get to be on your, you know, comfort, your own ice. You get to be home. You saw what Boston was doing against the Devils. It was nothing special. Last season, they were whipping the puck around. It was cross-crease passes. They would make your defense go side to side, and they would capitalize. They didn't do that. And if the Islanders can play in that box, 
I don't see anything right now that says Boston's going to be able to shut them out and do what they did last season. Have some confidence, right? You know you're going to bounce back because you can't play worse than you did in the Saturday yeah. night's game. The same way the Rangers knew they were going to bounce back because you couldn't play worse than that in Thursday night's game. And I, I'd like them to win and go 2-1. and one. I mean, like, at the end I of the day, it's the defensive structure. Yeah. The strength is defense. Yes, the offense came alive in game one. It was non-existent in game two. If the Islanders even played semi-defensive yesterday, a few, it's probably 2 nothing game. Maybe it's a one nothing game. You know, again, a few bad bounces, but at the end of the day, you lose the game. Yep. And again, we talk about the Islanders are a team that needs to score first, score early, because that sets the tone for them to play their game. The Boston Bruins are an offensive-based team. Their defense has been deteriorated with the loss of Cruz. And even Chara, I know he's old. I think he's 41, but it, it doesn't matter. It's still, is Dano Chara on the back and a big body, block shot, still hits, all that stuff. They don't have that. Their offensive base, and they're missing their most talented offensive player. I know Marchand's close. Pasternak's the most offensive talented player. You have to take advantage, and it's got to be from the start. If you don't play structure from the start, you're going to lose. And if the Islanders struggle to play defense, their strength, I don't trust the offense to outscore their opponents and do what Toronto does. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a team that needs to score first like the Islanders do. Yeah, Just watching the Rangers games, if they're down going into the third period, they don't they have some trouble coming back, but if they give up a goal in the first and they score one, they have that offensive power. They could get it back. It doesn't matter. The Islanders whole game has to change. If they go behind, if they go ahead, they might be the hardest team to beat in hockey. Yeah. No. Right? I mean, so the, I've never seen a game and come playoff time. Cause I assume the Islanders are going to be there. I think that they're that good. If they go behind, this is going to like, you have to build some fortitude right now because yesterday they they kind of caved it in, which was surprising to me, considering after how dominant you were the night before. Uh, you could just say that's a wash, sure. Like the Rangers came out harder, and they were, it was a tough blow before the game of the goaltending situation. But for them to not have that confidence going in, saying we just absolutely dummy these guys Thursday night in the home opener, let's come out and just do it again. To that shows a little bit of lack of fortitude, and I think that Trotz will change that. And by the time the playoffs come. If they can get that first goal, I mean, it's impossible to beat them. It just becomes that hard. My my key to the game yesterday was that the Islanders could come out and move their feet like they did in, in the opening night. They had the game. They had the game because if they're moving their feet and the Rangers are moving their feet, at least they canceled that out and they're both playing a competitive back-and-forth game where everyone, both sides are going to get chances. It just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. All right, so we're now going to welcome Dan Rosen, senior writer for NHL.com, to the show. Dan, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. How you doing? Doing well, great. One of us is doing better than the other. I, I'm <laughs> an Islander fan. He's a Ranger fan. So we both got you know each other in two games. But give us your take on these first two games between these two teams. All right, so you said you're an Islander fan, and he said he's a Ranger fan, right? Yep. So I think we've seen the best and worst of both teams in two games. I think we saw the the absolute best of the New York Islanders in the first game of the season. And really, I mean, I can't imagine the Rangers being any worse than they were in game one. And and, and to be honest, David Quinn feels the exact same way. Um, and then you flip the script, right? I mean, two nights later, uh, I think we've seen the best of the Rangers. I, I can't imagine them being that much better than they were uh, in that game, uh, the 5 nothing win. And you really saw the absolute worst of the Islanders. Maybe the worst game that they played under Barry Trotz in a very long time time maybe the worst thing game they've played under Barry Trotz since he's taken over as coach and and he's right it started out with them injuring their starting goaltender in warm-ups I mean he can't shoot high 
on a goalie in warmups when he's not expecting it, especially. And and that shot from Clutterbuck caught Varlamov under the mask and above the left shoulder, probably either in the collarbone or the throat area. I don't know, but he was out in tough spot for Sorokin to go in. And they didn't they didn't help him out at all. But the Rangers really played well. They really played well. So I think we've seen the best and worst of, of both teams so far. And they'll, they'll find themselves somewhere in the middle. Uh, and it's just a matter of can both of them find themselves a little bit closer to their best in the middle because that's going to be the big difference. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And that Varlamov shot was a little bit reminiscent of the Lundqvist incident. I remember a while back against Carolina, yeah. kind of took it up high in the neck throat area. So I, I hope he's all right. And I mean, it, it was kind of a war on social media between the fans and David Quinn after game one between the lineup changes and uh, you could read the amount of people that were criticizing it, but then, it, hey, it paid off, right? They looked so much better in game two. So my question to you is, do you think that if they continue to go on a path similar to game one and that game two was a fluke, if you will, which I don't believe it will, I think that that's how they play. Uh, do you think he could be on the hot seat come season's end if they miss the playoffs and miss it badly? Not if they miss the playoffs. If they miss it badly and they don't yeah. show improvement, then I think any coach would be, to be honest with you, I, regardless of if it's David Quinn or anybody else. I mean, he's in his year, third year. The, 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 the idea is to continue to show progress. And they showed progress from year one to year two. Year two, they were showing a lot of progress. And then the pandemic hit and the season got paused. And, you know, they didn't come back well in the bubble. But I think, you you know, in a way, you kind of throw that out because it was so unique and different. And they were young. And I think you could toss that out. It's a question of now can they pick up where they left off where they were in March and they did not in game one and it was alarming and David Quinn used that word alarming but uh, I don't think they're as good as they played you know on the second game of the season against the Islanders Saturday night but they're they're better way better than they played in the first game of the season and and I understand the social media aspect and the fans and all that but I I always take that and understand like it's still a minority of the fan base what's on social media and especially the vocal people on social media are a minority of the fan base. And it's a very opinionated minority. And I get that, but he he's coaching the hockey team as he see fits. And you can't argue with the moves that he made because they obviously worked. And now you, you got to, you know, massage a little bit here, but if they miss the playoffs badly, like if they finish last in the division, then I think you have to reevaluate, but if they they're competitive and they're in the fight and they miss the playoffs, I think that's progress for the Rangers. I think progress for the Rangers this year is the development of Lafreniere, the continued development of Capo Caco, the development of Keandre Miller. Keandre Miller, I commented to a fellow writer last night, this guy's going to be an eight-time All-Star. I think he's that good. Um, and, and, you know, the development of Shesterkin, they're still the youngest team in the league. And I think that needs to be remembered here. They're the youngest team in the league. And if when they win the Stanley Cup, if that were to happen, if or if they get to the Stanley Cup final, Jack Johnson's probably not going to be on the team. Brendan Smith's probably not going to be on the team. But those guys have to play a role now to help the Rangers get to where they want to go because you cannot have first you can't have 12 first line forwards you can't have six first pair defensemen you 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 got to balance it out and brendan jack johnson is a much cheaper version right now of mark stall i think mark stall is a better defenseman but he was also making a lot more money and you have to factor that in the salary cap not going up you got to make these types of decisions but i, I think they're going to be fine i like david quinn as a coach I think he's good as a coach he doesn't hand it to anybody you got to earn it and i like that philosophy 
Yeah, I agree. And like you said about Miller, I think that the way he looks so poised right now defensively, especially at that young age, two games in, it is kind of impressive. And he really hasn't made that many glaring mistakes yet, which I like to see in a young defenseman too. But you mentioned Jack Johnson. And in game one, he played 21 minutes. Now that was attributed to the penalty situation. They took eight penalties and he's on the kill. And in game two, he played a little over 13. Uh, much more balanced. You didn't really hear his name much as far as miscues go. Fox helped him out with his speed, I believe. And do you think we'll see more of his role in game two be a more prevalent role where it's around 13, 14 minutes, not going to be used as much just in certain situations? Uh, that's why they signed him, to play that type of role. They didn't sign him to play 22 minutes a night, right? I mean, that's not why he's there. But he's on the penalty kill, and if you have to kill eight penalties, Jack Johnson's ice time is going to go up. It's just the nature of it. I mean, it's going to happen, and you're not going to win if you have to kill eight penalties. And David Quinn mentioned that the other night, and he's right. You know, the Islanders had to kill eight penalties last night. They lost five nothing, you know? So, right, I mean, it's sure. hard to do. You're, you're killing eight penalties. You're, you're taking a quarter of the game where you're on the PK. Uh, a little over a quarter of the game where you're on the PK. That's a, it's almost impossible to win when you have to do that. Um, Jack Johnson was signed to a one-year contract uh, to play 13 minutes a night on the third pair for the Rangers. Now, right now, he's not on the third pair, but Adam Fox is going to play more than Jack Johnson. If that's if that pair stays, Adam Fox is going to bounce around. He's going to play more. And by the way, I thought Adam Fox looked perfectly comfortable on the top power play unit too. He did. So it'll it'll we'll see how it plays out and how it all how things settle in. But Jack Johnson is is there to play 13, 14 minutes, not to play 21 or 22. If Jack Johnson's playing 21 or 22 minutes a night, the Rangers on a regular routine basis, the Rangers are in trouble. Yeah, but to follow that up, do you think that there's a possibility they take him out for Smith when they re-enter D'Angelo? Because I thought Smith yeah. looked very impressive last night. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Jack Johnson's a six seven. So is Brendan Smith. He's a six seven. He's in that, he's in that mix. And and if Tony's gonna come back in and play the way Tony needs to be able to play, then it's gonna to me, it's either gonna be Johnson or or Smith coming out of the lineup. You're, you're not taking out Lindgren, you're not taking out Fox, you're not taking out Miller now, you're certainly not taking out Truba, right? So it, it's gotta be one of those other guys, and and, and that's that's why they're there. And I think fans, the overreaction we saw was exactly what I just said. It was an overreaction. You have to understand it was one game. Things didn't break right. They killed a ton of penalties. Jack Johnson didn't look great. His minutes were high. And he is a 6'7 defenseman along the lines with Brendan Smith here. He's a stopgap sort of, so to speak, too. And if Tony comes back, when Tony D'Angelo comes back in the lineup, I don't know that it'll be Tuesday against the Devils because David Quinn very rarely changes a winning lineup. Um, but when Tony D'Angelo comes back in the lineup, you'll see either Johnson or Smith sit is my guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. And I don't think the lineup has to change by Tuesday because they did win and they look pretty good in, in that win. Uh, so what do you think that Kako, Lafreniere, and Miller have to do to use their size and, and skill to create offense? Because in game two, we saw Kako score. Lafreniere has looked pretty impressive. Miller had a couple of chances. The puck slipped off the stick. But one thing I noticed is that when they do tend to struggle, they get a little passive. They stay to the outside. And, and these are these are bigger guys. Kako's not small. Lafreniere's not small. They don't necessarily have that drive. We haven't seen a big sample size with Lafreniere, but we did with Kako. Yeah. So what do you think they have to do to, to kind of get that going where they're continually using their size and, and talent? Yeah, you're 100% right. We uh, What you just said with the small sample size versus the larger sample sample size. I like what I've seen from Lafreniere so far. I think he's, I right. think he's you know, he's used his body. He's been physical. He's skated well. 
Uh, he's gotten on the inside a few times. Uh, there was a shift last night where he was pretty much getting abused by Matt Martin, and uh, he popped up every single time. And, and it was a tough shift. He got hit, knocked down three times hard, and, and he popped up each time. I think that was good. Uh, I think he's been dangerous at times. I think he's just got to continue along those lines. And once he gets one, it'll start coming a little bit more easily. Not easy, but it'll start – the confidence will grow a little bit. Uh, and, and I like it. You remember from, from game one, he was playing on the third line left wing. Game two, he's playing on the second line right wing. So there's a settling in factor here as well for Lafreniere. For Kako, I 100% agree with you. When he gets passive, it's he's not nearly as effective. And that's the case with most players. But when Kako is assertive and he is skating well and he wants the puck and he's getting on the inside, he is so dangerous, especially off the rush. And we saw it off the rush again, you know, in the second game of the season against the Islanders where, you know, he came into the zone. He was looking to shoot. He was setting himself up. It was a great play by them to set him up, to get it to from DiGiuseppe to get it to him. And it was a hard one-timer. It was a great shot. I think that's huge for his confidence. The kid's got so much skill and power. And I think he's still just putting it all together. One of the things that we tend to do, everybody, is when a guy comes into the league with as much hype as Lafreniere and as much hype as Kako, we expect them to be instant success stories. It's harder to do in the National Hockey League, I think, than it is in the NBA or the NFL where you're when you're a number one draft pick. When you're, you come in as a number one draft pick in the NFL or the NBA, you are usually an instant success story because a lot of the things revolve around you. In the NHL, it, it, it's a team, far more of a, a team need, and you, you have to find your way in to the concept of that team because if you're a number one pick in the NFL, a lot of times it's a quarterback, right? Uh, in the NBA, it could, it could, you know, whatever position it is, but you're getting a ball a lot more. In the NHL, it's a lot different. And I think we just need to, to give these guys some time to develop the right way. Not everybody is McDavid. Not everybody is Matthews. Before I get to a few Islander questions, Pavel Buchnevich had a, a tremendous game yesterday, and I heard he had an amazing camp as well. Is this the kind of player that could be a threat like what we saw last night, each and every night for Coach Quinn? Well, yeah, and David Quinn has really raved about Pavel Buchnevich. I think you can go back to when they came back for training camp 2.0 last year uh, before going to the bubble. Like He liked Buch a lot. And he has really liked Pavel Buchnevich uh, since the start of this season, training camp right on through. Uh, he was dangerous. Uh, he is. He looks more assertive. Like, similar to what I was just saying about Kako is that I think Buchnevich is figuring it out and how to be assertive and when to be assertive. And he looks good. And 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 David Quinn said it last night, and he's 100% right. Pavel Buchnevich is killing penalties. When did you ever think that Pavel Buchnevich was going to be killing penalties? But he's earned it, and he's playing very well. And if he continues to play that way, uh, that 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 becomes a very dangerous. It's already a dangerous top line with him, with with Mika and Kreider. But with if Buchnevich starts to play, continue to play that way, it, that's a legitimate top elite number one line in the NHL. Yeah, how do you move him if if like, I know that that's been rumored? You don't, right? You have to keep. You don't. You don't. You don't. You 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 have a you have a number one center. You have a, a lock as a number one center, right? Yeah. But Panarin doesn't have to play with him. Kako doesn't have to play with. I'm talking with Mika. Panarin doesn't have to play with him. Kako doesn't have to play with him. Lafreniere doesn't have to play with him because the it works. Kreider, Zabanda, Buchnevich work, and and Buchnevich is playing 
it's Very to well. me it's usually two guys on a line and then the third guy has to compliment them and with that line, Bushnevich is complimenting Kreider and Zibanejad very well, and that's the way it, it needs to stay. And if he continues that the way he's can, played, he'll be a dangerous scorer, too. He already is. Yep. Uh, a dangerous scorer and a scoring threat each and every night, except last night. Matt Barzal had a, a great opening night where he looked more like a two-dimensional player, getting back, making some plays in his own zone. Took a penalty, but that's going to happen with the style that he plays. And then last night, you know, was abysmal. Three offensive zone penalties. That was bad. He, he just didn't look like the same player. And, you know, when he signed a three-year deal, he said, I'm trying to get my play to the next level. Trot said, that's his goal. Get Barzal to this next level. Do you think after the game that we saw on opening night, is that the type of game that he's got to play each and every night? Or is there even another level Barzal could get to? Well, if he plays the way he played on opening night each and every night, that is another level for Barzal. Right. I mean, that that is the next level is the, the, the complete 200 foot, you know, top line centerman. And he is developing into that under trots over the first two years. No question about it. And now he's got to continue that you know development. And, and to me, it's not it's not necessarily about playing that reaching the next level. It's about playing that way consistently. That to me is reaching the next level. It's not having a good, a great night and then having an off night, which he's had, obviously. But but again, everybody for the Islanders had an off night in the second game of the season. He was not alone on that train. There's no question about it. So, but yeah, the next level is the, ne- is the level we saw from Matt Barzal in game one. And and that's a level he can consistently play at. It, it, it's, he's just got to be able to do it. And to me, when Barzal plays that way, and it, the Islanders are going to follow suit as well. They, they play a great system play. And if they can get their number one center to buy in every night, and I think he does buy in every night, it's, matter of consistently doing it they're going to be in great shape how does one how does trots get bars a lot of stop taking offensive it seems like every penalty he does oh, yeah. take off sense of zone and it, it's it killed the islanders yesterday it's just demoralizing because you know granted if you're in your own zone you're trying to break up a play and stop a scoring chance but when you take offensive opportunities away from your club i mean do you sit him do, do you should he have been benched for the rest of the game like how, how do you go about if you were a coach trots how do you go about fixing this play because it's unacceptable it's a great question. I, I don't know how you stop guys from taking offensive zone penalties other than you just kind of tell them, like, that's a terrible penalty. Do not do that again, right? Yeah. Just don't do that again. Uh, get out of the guy's way. Don't interfere. There's no reason for you to interfere behind the net. There's just no reason for you to do that. I, I don't know. I don't think you sit him. I don't think that's the nature of it. I mean, if it continues, yeah, then you sit him. Um, but when it happens, again, it, I, I don't want to overreact to one game, right? I mean, the, the everybody overreacted to the the way the Rangers played in the first game of the season, and nobody was overreacting to the way the Islanders played. It was almost sort of expected, right? I mean, oh, they're a conference finalist. This is the way they're going to be. The Rangers come back. They play great. Let's not overreact to the way the Rangers played in the second game, but let's not overreact to the way the Islanders played. That was not Islander hockey, what we've known it to be, and what we've known it to be under Barry Trotz is that doesn't continue. Like, if they have a bad one, usually come back with a good one. So I would expect to see that from the Islanders, from Matt Barzell, a little more discipline, better in the system play, better puck control, uh, all of those things. So I don't want to overreact to just one game. Uh, looking at the way the divisions break down and all that, do you think the Islanders are a Stanley Cup contender or do they really need that, you know, that missing offensive piece? No, I think they're a Stanley Cup contender. I do. I don't think they're missing anything. I think if they play the way they're capable of playing, they can beat anybody in the league, and they can certainly beat anybody in the league in a seven-game series. 
to me, they're one of the hardest teams to play in a seven-game series because they're not going to give you anything and they're not going to deviate most most nights from what they do. You you know exactly what you're going to get, and it's going to be a hard game for you. And it's going to and, and look, Pavel Buchnevich said it last night. Uh, I actually asked him, you know, how important was it? Well, I, I think I said, you know, what was the impact of getting that first goal and how you guys played the rest of the game? They scored two minutes and twelve seconds into the game, and yeah. he. And he said, "If you, you got to get a lead against this team because if you don't, they tighten it up defensively and they make it very hard to penetrate and it makes it very difficult for you. If they have to chase the game, it makes it a little bit harder and the Islanders are you know, not a, as good of a team chasing the game as they are when they're in command of the game, as most teams are. But the way the Islanders play in, in their system, when they're in command of a game, it's almost impossible to come back. We spoke about this before you came on, actually, yep. about how topic. this Islander team, if they get a lead, are probably the hardest team to come back on. But when they don't play their game off the bat, they give up that first or second goal, it's tough for them to win because they just don't have the offensive talent, the offensive system that many other teams do, like Toronto, where they could, they just have to yeah. outscore the opponent. That's the goal. And I think for the Islanders, you saw in game one, they got out to an early lead and they controlled pace of play. But when they do fail to do that and fail to move their feet, it's not going to end with two points. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that they are they are not built to chase games. They they're they're just not. There are some teams that are the way they're built. I think look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning can get down in a game and come back. They can they can take command of a game and not give it up, right? I mean, there's they can win in so many different ways. I'm not saying the Islanders can't come back. They can come back, but I think if they're down multiple goals, it's harder for them to come back than it is for some other teams, just simply because of the way that they're built to play. But they're built to play in command from the start of a game. And most times under Barry Trotz, we have seen the Islanders play in command from the start of the game. So again, that's why I don't want to overreact over just one game. Understand, and I mean, I think both fan bases clearly did that in game one and two. But let's get to some a uh, few more questions, some NHL stuff for you. Um, if you had to pick one dark horse, one team to make the playoffs in this chaotic year, what's your team? Well, I, I picked the Montreal Canadiens to not just make the playoffs, but I picked them to win the division, to the North Division, to finish first in that division. And from what I've seen in two games, I'm not changing it. I know they lost uh, to Toronto five four. I think that they can play those types of games and win them. And then they were just great against Edmonton to win 5-1. And Edmonton's goaltending was bad, but, I mean, they were they were very good. I think that's a two-team – I think Toronto and Montreal, that's going to become a two-team race uh, for first place in the North. And I I love the moves that Mark Bergevin made in the offseason. Carey Price is elite, no question about it. Less of Carey Price will be more of Carey Price. And by that, I mean Jake Allen having coming in as the number two there now – Having him spell Carey Price every once in a while and still give the Montreal Canadiens a chance to win, that's going to be great. It's going to take a little bit of the stress off of Carey Price, and it's going to make Carey better. Uh, I like Toffoli signing. I like Joel Edmondson. Uh, I mean, I love Josh Anderson uh, and that trade that they made for for uh, Max Domi. Uh, I just I, – across the board, I like the way this team is built. They've got depth up front. They've got a little snarl on the back end. Uh, they're big, they're mean, and they have great goaltending. So I don't think a lot of people were picking Montreal necessarily to win the division. I think a number of people were picking them to maybe make the playoffs out of that division. But I think they win that division. I think they finish first place. 
Not well. your year if it happens. <laughs> last, last one. We've got a ton of you know rookies in the NHL this season. And who's your pick to win the Calder? So going into the season, so less than a week ago, um, mm-hmm. I, it was it was Igor Shesterkin. And I am not changing this pick based on what I saw from Igor Shesterkin in the first game of the season. That has very little to do with it because I think what we saw from Shesterkin last year in his 12-game sample size is more along the lines of what we will see from him. He, The Rangers were awful in that game, and he wasn't very good either. He was a part of that, but it was Shesterkin. That being said, uh, it took me two days to change that pick. I'm going with Kirill Kaprizov from, Kaprizov from the Minnesota Wild. He's He looks like a dynamic, electrifying player. When was the last time the Minnesota Wild had a dynamic, electrifying forward? Marion Gabrick, probably, right? Marion Gabrick was the guy. Uh, it's been a lot of vanilla there. Uh, grinding vanilla, but vanilla. And this guy comes out of it, and he looks terrific. I think he's going to put up a lot of points. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes in a lot of key situations. And he is going to be a big factor for the Minnesota Wild. And I just I just like what I've seen from him so far. And the fact that he's it's similar along the lines of Shesterkin. He's a little older. He's been around. He's played pro hockey. He's not new to he's not new to pro hockey. Uh, he's not a 19-year-old, 18-year-old rookie coming into the league. He's, he's 23 years old and he can skate. His hands are are so silky. I, I just I like everything I've seen from him so far. Completely agree. He looks like a ten year veteran out there. When I was watching yeah. the game, it just seemed seemed so comfortable. He's a big body too. He's not a small guy like Jack. He's getting pushed around. He he looks like he's been in the NHL for ten years, and he's going to be an exciting player for Minnesota Wild fans to watch for sure. Absolutely, he, he's he, he's the guy that they haven't had really. Yeah, I mean he's yeah. he's the guy they haven't had. I, I picked Igor Shesterkin to, to yeah. win the Calder this year, Fine. and yeah. I'm sticking with it because in game one, we talked about it. he had 12 high-danger chances against, and Georgiev only had two in game two. So it's very evident that the Rangers <laughs> didn't give him much help in that first game. But uh, you can't go wrong with either. And I, like you like you just mentioned, the age factor to me is is a big separate – it separates them from the rest of the pack. Lafreniere is young, Stutzl is young, and, and I think that that will help both Kaprizov and, and Shesterkin in that race. Yeah, I agree. And that's what we, like I talked about with Lafreniere and Kako and, and these types of players, you know, they need time. You need to give them time to develop into professional yeah. hockey players. And Kaprizov is a professional hockey player, just in a different league. He is, has been for a while. Shesterkin is a professional hockey player, has been for a while, just in a different league. So it, it makes a big difference. They came in, they come into a man's league as a man, rather than come into the man's league as a teenager trying to become a man. Yep, I completely agree. And and Dan, thank you very much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Great insight. And we look forward to reading more of your stuff, listening to your questions at the post-game conference. So keep doing what you do. We really appreciate all your insight. Thank you. Thank, thanks a lot, guys. Thank, thank you, you very much. Great interview with Dan Rose. I mean, he knows he knows his stuff. He may just be a Ranger, a Ranger guy for NHL.com, but he is a hockey mastermind. And he knows a lot about each and every team. And it's it was just a great interview. I'm really thankful he came on. Yeah, I, I mean, that was awesome. A lot of insight for both sides. Uh, he got to watch up close, interview the players the last two day, two games between the Rangers and Islanders. And like he said, I mean, he, he basically re-emphasized and, and gave more detail to what we were talking about before, about you can't overreact to anything you saw over the last two games. They're a wash. Let's see how the next five or six go for both teams. That'll be more indicative of it. But big news, the reason I put the wrap around back up here, 
Keith Yandel's Iron Man streak lives on. He's playing tonight. They announced that he is in the lineup. So he is not going to be scratched. He will be playing tonight. So in the last couple of minutes here, you know, let's go to our speed skate segment and a couple of questions. The Caps and the Flyers. But are, are these two teams going to battle for the top of the East? No. I don't agree either. I, I don't think it's a battle. I think it's Philly. I, I think they're the best team in the division. At least the best team in the division, and they might be the best team in the East right now. And I think that they were hurt the most. I know that they won the round robin, but they were hurt the most by that season ending last year. I don't think they win the cup because of Elaine Vigneault. Can't can't pick it after what I saw with the Rangers, how many good teams they had that just fell just short. So I think that ultimately they will fall short. But I think it's their division to lose. I don't want to give any stock to the Capitals just yet. Same way I can't give too much stock to Philly. Even I just think that Philly's a better team. But I want to see them play a different opponent. All these guys have played the same opponent. Same thing with the Rangers and Islanders. They just played each other. Let's see how they fare against somebody else, right? Philly played their rival. The Penguins looked a little depleted defensively. They, they didn't really keep up with what Philly could do. And even when they were keeping up, it was just a matter of time before Philly started to pull away. So I want to see them play another opponent. The Capitals play the Penguins today. So that's a good indication, actually. Yep. Yep. So it's on national television, right? We're going to watch it. The Philly just beat up on the Penguins. If the Capitals struggle a little bit, I think you see how just, just how good Philly really is. And I think that the Capitals are going to struggle a little bit with the Islanders and Rangers too. It always happens like that. Those those two teams play them well, and that'll hurt their chances at going all the way to the top. Tampa, just that good. Chicago, just that bad. Now in, in game one, you know, Tampa raising the, the banner, which they didn't do, but they showed it because they're going to wait for fans, which is which is That's awesome. a really cool thing to see. Dominate them in game one. But game two, a lot closer to me. I think Subban's the guy you got to go with. I know what happened in game one, but Dalia did not look great in game two. A lot of times he was lost, a little lost. I mean, you give time and space to a guy like Stamkos, he's not going to miss. But what I saw on that shot was Dalia slide the slide out of the shot lane. And I just think Subban, he made some big time saves. And for a team like Chicago, where there's a lot of question marks, you want to see improvement. And this is Subban's real first chance at being a number one. You're finding out this year if he could be a number one or not. Now, Grant, he's not on a great team. So if you put him on a team like the Vegas Golden Knights or a team like the Lightning, how does he fare? Yep. Probably fares better, but this is gonna you're going to see. It doesn't matter what the save percentage and goals against. It's going to be the compete level. We saw him make that diving stick save. You know, yeah, half that's luck, but it's just it just shows athleticism and ability to read a play. I, I think Chicago... It is not going to be as bad as people think. I mean, when there has they have a good offense, they they have a good offense, and you know the defense is still there. Duncan Key still is the backbone of that defensive unit. It's going to come down to goaltending, but I I do also think Tampa is that good. I think yeah. Tampa is that good. I know the game the second game was closer, but Tampa is still a juggernaut of a team. And if they play Chicago ten times this year, which they don't obviously, they play them eight. I think I think they have a chance to actually sweep this. So I'm going to say right now, Chicago's that bad. And the only reason I'm saying that is because of who they're missing, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, Doc's out the season, and they don't know what Taves has. If both of those players are playing, that I don't think it's that lopsided. Malcolm Subban, we gave him a lot of – we said, oh, that's the worst starting goal. He still might be the worst starting goal in the league. 
that there was a big drop off in the two games. I know he gave up five, but he didn't look bad at all. I, mean, I don't think we had a chance on any of them besides maybe one. They were just redirects, one timers, and he did make a couple of phenomenal saves. Yeah. So I think that you ride Subat. I know that the plan was to see who they have. Why not give him a chance? He's been on other teams where he's played well as a backup. Let him get a couple of straight games and see if he can go on a run. So right now, I think the Tampa's phenomenal. I don't think they're going to be as good this year. They're going to finish first in their division. Their division's not loaded. They don't really have much of a challenge. But I don't know how they can play without Kucherov in a postseason if it comes to that. I think it's more of who Chicago's missing and who they played. Again, I want to see them play somebody else. But we know Tampa's going to be good. And I think that right now with who they're missing, Chicago is just bad. All right, with the last couple of minutes, let's end it with our Players of the Week. We'll be doing this every Sunday episode because, you know, we've got the nice week. I know the season sure. starts on Wednesday, but I'm going to start off with my Player of the Week is Travis Konechny of the Philadelphia Flyers. In opening night, it looked like he scored a goal, but it was not credited to him. I'm pretty sure. I think Patrick got it. Yep. Was that Patrick goal? Well, either way, he got a goal taken away. But this was a guy that did not score a single goal in 16 playoff games. So what does he do in game two? Patrick. So right now he's got three goals and two assists in the season. He's a plus four. I know plus minus isn't a great stat, but it just shows that he's on the ice when his team's scoring goals. And I think Konechny is going to be a big part, especially with Couturier now out for a couple of weeks. Travis Konechny is going to have to be that guy that they thought was going to be a big difference making the playoffs. And now it's not his fault the team didn't go as farther in the playoffs, but Konechny's got to be in a, a scorer for this team each and every night, at least a threat. He wasn't even a threat in the playoffs. And the fact that he's scoring already as the season has just begun is a very good sign for this Flyers team. Makes them that much better. Yeah, so my player of the week is John Tavares. I think that he looked very good in the first two games. Wasn't as impactful in the third, but he still has five points, two goals, three assists. He had an assist on the game-winning goal in the first game, and he had a goal and an assist against Ottawa in their loss. And I, I think that he's been... He's been given a tough like straw, I guess, if you will, since he signed there because he hasn't been bad, but they expected so much when he came over, and that's a good start for him to have. He's been very impactful. He's all over the score sheet. So I expect a good season from him, especially with that offense and playing only Canadian teams. I think that they will start to gel more. But right now, he's my player of the week this week just because of what he's done, the amount of pressure that he's on. And they've also played three games, so they play played one more game than pretty much every other team in the league, so... He's my player of the week, but Travis Konechny had a great one. You can pick multiple players on the Flyers. That's how good they were. Joel Farabee could have been one. I mean, he had a great first game too. So it, it's tough. I have Konechny on my fantasy team. So oh, so you're biased? I'm, I'm not biased. He, he had a, he had a great he had a phenomenal week, and uh, yeah, that's where that's where I sit. All right, guys. Yeah. Next week on Wednesday, another live edition of the Back Check. That will be episode five. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the Dan Rosen interview, and we'll see you again on Wednesday. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of the Backcheck. Follow the show on social media at Backcheck Pod.